1: People say, well, we're all children of God. No, we are not. No, unfortunately, we are not. The man who is born of flesh is dominated by the flesh. The man who is born again by the Spirit is dominated by the Spirit. In other words, his life is ruled by the Spirit. And the life of the Spirit is far superior than the life of the flesh. Life is intended to be so much more than eating,
0: drinking, and being merry. Your true purpose in life is not revealed until you have died to your fleshly desires. When you accept Christ, you begin to live in the Spirit. As Pastor Dave explains in today's message, living for the Spirit is a much higher calling. If you have not discovered your purpose in life, have you come to Christ yet? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John, chapter 3, as he begins his message God's love defined.
1: seeing this crazy, weird-looking guy with a rainbow afro sitting in the stands holding up a sign. And all it said was, John 3.16. How many remember that? You guys are old. No, that's not true. In fact, various sports players, Tim Tebow being one, have John 3.16 under their eyes in black right here. You know, I went on the internet and I did a search of images for John 3.16. And you wouldn't believe the many, many pictures relating to this extremely powerful verse. Sports stars, fans, different jerseys, signs that people are holding up. While even there is a lot done on March 16th, three sixteen. So, suppose you're a non-Christian and you're watching TV. You're watching sports. You see all this. You see this rainbow-haired guy holding up this sign every time you turn around. You see sports stars with a John 3.16 under their eyes. Or maybe you see someone holding up a sign that says, look up, John 3.16. You might be thinking... What's the big deal? What is this John 3.16? Why is this one verse so important? To begin with, it's perhaps the greatest verse in the Bible. Why, you might ask, is it the greatest text? Let me ask you a question again. Have you ever tried to communicate your thoughts in a clear and concise manner, yet brief? It's called being succinct. There is no other verse in the Bible that so succinctly summarizes God's relationship with humanity and the way of salvation. And in these 25 words, Jesus clearly communicates the Father's heart, the Father's plan, and the Father's will. Now when I said 25 words, how many of you started counting? (laughs) Well, look at them. 25 words. 25 words. In these 25 words, Jesus clearly communicates the Father's heart. He loved the world. He communicates the Father's plan. He gave his son. And he communicates the Father's will. Whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Some consider John 3.16 to be the theme verse of the entire Bible. John 3.16 tells us of the love God has for us and the extent of that love. A love so great that He sacrificed His one and only Son on our behalf. John 3.16 teaches us that if anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, God's Son, they will be saved. John 3.16 gives us the glorious hope of eternal life. A life in heaven through the love of God and the death of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Now, to understand this verse, we can't just pluck it out of the sky. We've got to put it into context in which it was written. It's very important. We've been studying chapter 3 in the Gospel of John. Jesus has been conversing with Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus came at night. He wanted to see this miracle worker. He wanted to see this man who did things of God because he had some questions that he wanted to ask him. He had some questions that he wanted to ask him, but Jesus never lets him get the questions out. All Nicodemus says to him is, we know you're a man from God because no one could do the things you do unless God was with them. Jesus didn't even respond. He said, lest man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The words he received, that Nicodemus received from Jesus, causes Nicodemus' mind to go in tilt. Like the old pinball machines, the tilt would sell up and everything would shut down. Nicodemus was flabbergasted. He looked at, he had this glazed look in his eye. Two times Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus can't wrap his finite mind around this statement. It's too abstract for him. It's too abstract for him. He asked the question, how can a man reenter his mother's womb when he's old? See, he's thinking physically. Nicodemus, don't think physically. Jesus is speaking spiritually. Jesus says, unless a man is born of water... And of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a spiritual thing. You must be born of the spirit. Men are not naturally born children of God. That is a fallacy. You hear people say, well, we're all children of God. No, we are not. No, unfortunately, we are not. The man who is born of flesh is dominated by the flesh. The man who is born again by the Spirit is dominated by the Spirit. In other words, his life is ruled by the Spirit. And the life of the Spirit is far superior than the life of the flesh. Life is intended to be so much more than eating, drinking, and being merry. And the true purpose of life is really not discovered until a man comes into fellowship with God by the new birth. You know what life is all about? You must experience the new birth through Jesus Christ to find out what the true meaning of life is, what life is truly all about. Nicodemus' confusion is evident when he asked the question, how can these things be? How can these things be? And last week we studied this beautiful, wonderful, concise example that Jesus gave to Nicodemus that he knew he should understand. Remember in verses 14 and 15 last week? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This example should have made things perfectly clear for Nicodemus. He was a student of Scripture. He was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of the Word of God. Jesus even called him on that. You're a teacher of all Israel and you don't know this? With this statement, Jesus then tied everything together. He says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about? Nicodemus must, mine must have been fried. What's he talking about? He was talking about the cross. He was talking about the cross, which he would go to several years later. Notice again the word must. This is an imperative word. This is not a suggestion this is not, a, well, you probably should. No. This is a divine command. This is a divine command. You must, even though the Son of Man, must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So just like the serpent in the wilderness lifted up on the pole, those that were bitten by the serpents who looked up at the serpent were healed, and they didn't die. Jesus is saying, just like that, the Son of Man needs to be lifted up if there is any hope or possibility for redemption of man. If there's any experience of this born-again life, it can only be done by the Son of Man being crucified. The Son of Man must be lifted up. So we come now to the very next statement that Jesus makes. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you know that many attribute these statements from 16 down through 21 as possibly being written by the Apostle John. But I don't believe that. I can see Jesus continuing his statement with Nicodemus, continuing talking about these things because he really wants to clarify it. He really wants to show Nicodemus what this is all about. So now he's really going to shake Nicodemus' world. And we're very familiar with this verse. You all repeat it. I bet if I blank that out, many of you could repeat it by heart. But imagine, Nicodemus is hearing this for the first time. Nicodemus has never heard this before. He's hearing it for the very first time. And as we look at this important text, I've broken it down into 10 small phrases that I want to look at. And I'm gonna take it apart and I'm gonna look at it so that we can better grasp this thing. This is holy ground, folks. This is holy ground on which we stand right now. This is a powerful, powerful verse. Many of you have used this with your friends as witness tools. Many of you have spoken these things. Do we understand what's happening here? The first phrase is for God, the word in the Greek for for is gar, it's a connecting verse it connects verses 14 and 15 with 16 and 17. It's a connecting verse. When Jesus says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, this becomes a divine imperative, like I said. In other words, what Jesus is about to say to Nicodemus is of divine importance. And if it's of a divine importance, number one, it must be heard, and number two, it must be obeyed. So the first phrase is for God. The word used for God in the Greek, theos. Theos, meaning supreme divinity, the creator of the universe. Our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's ever-present. He's omniscient, which means he knows all. He is the creator of life, the sustainer of life, and the only forgiver of sin. You can call him Yahweh. You can call him Jehovah He is the becoming one. He is the first person of the Trinity. In this case, though, Jesus uses the term in the sense of a divine father. Now, this was new to them. They didn't relate to God as a father. For what did they say to Jesus later on in the Gospel of John? Our father is Abraham. They're not relating to God as a father. It was Jesus who came with the idea of the father, as God being the father, because Jesus was his son. So he came with that idea and demonstrated that. Divine father. The next phrase is so loved. For God so loved. The Greek word for love here is agapo. It comes from Agape. Unconditional love. And this love is the essence of God. It is who he is. In John's first epistle, he says clearly that God is love. God is love. Not God is like love. Not a characteristic of God is love. He said God is love. It's the essence of who he is. This love here is an action. This love is an action love. For God so loved. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates, that's an action. God demonstrates, that's action here. His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the action there? God is demonstrating his love for us. And this attitude of God towards his son and towards his world is that God so loved them, so loved us. For where does redemption begin? It begins in the love of God. Redemption begins in the love of God. One commentator put it this way, quote, This expresses the deep and constraint love of a perfect being, Theos, towards those who are entirely unworthy, which in turn produces love towards those who are partakers of this love and a desire to help others to seek the giver of this love. For God so loved. I get the idea of, He was bursting with this love. He so loved. He was bursting with this love. The love that just exuded from him. The next phrase answers a simple question. What's the object of God's love? What was the object of God's love? Or we might say, who is the object of God's love? The world. For God so loved the world. And here we get a glimpse of the heart of God. God loved the world. The Greek word for world, cosmos. But here, in this context, it stands for people. It stands for you and it stands for me. It shows the object of God's love. The object of God's love, unfortunately, is not the beautiful and pure world that God created. It's not a world that is in harmony with him. The object of God's world is in rebellion against him. The object of God's love hates him. A world whose pureness has become scarred by sin. That's the object of God's love. It's a world of greed, of strife, of hatred, and wars. But in spite of all these things, God so loved the world. In spite of these things. In spite of the sin that was rampant, in spite of our rebellion towards him, in spite of us turning our backs and disobeying every commandment we could possibly think of, God so loved the world. God so loved mankind. Someone, I'm not sure who, said that love must be measured by the obstacles it overcomes. Think of the obstacles that God's love has overcome in your life. Think of the obstacles that God's love has overcome in your life to draw you to Him. So, how did God express this beautiful love? He gave. That's our next phrase. He gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved the cosmos, the world, his creation. For God so loved all of mankind that he gave. And the Greek word is didome. It means to lavish, to bestow upon, to give out freely. God is a giving God who wants to lavish his creation with this love. The prophet Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 9-2. We use it at Christmas time. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. If love must be measured in gifts, then God has given us the most perfect gift ever. In fact, we had a message on Christmas time. We called it the indescribable gift. We can't describe it. What did God give? He gave his son. That's our next phrase. His only begotten son, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's only begotten son is the gift that was given through God's love. God's love just just didn't feel for the plight of a foreign world. God did something about it. God did something about it. He gave the most precious thing that he could possibly give. You all have friends. You all have families. You all have relatives. You all give gifts. You think your gifts are special, and they are. When they come from your heart, your gifts are special. But God gave his most precious gift. His most precious gift. His only begotten son, God gave him. And here we see the Father's plan. When God adapted this planet for habitation and placed man on it, it was his intent that man would live with him in harmony forever. They would have fellowship together forever. And in doing so, man would then benefit from God's great love. And he would experience life and the beauty and the joy that was in it. God gave man rules for perfect existence. But man broke those rules. And since he broke the rules, he suffered the consequences. He began to feel guilt. He could now experience pain and death. And worst of all, his fellowship with God was broken. Man was soon fighting and destroying his fellow man. And so it was necessary for God to give more rules. For man was destroying himself with his uncontrollable lust. And as man continued to break the rules, he suffered bitter consequences. And then man says, it's not my fault, it's God's fault. The man started to blame God. He blamed God for his messed up life. He began to get a false concept of who God was. He thought God was cruel and unjust. He thought God hated him. He thought God wanted to make him miserable. But nothing could be further than the truth. So God gave his son. Unto us a son is given that he might reveal the truth about himself. What did his son do when he came to earth? He went about healing the sick. He went about raising the dead. He went about restoring lives together. He gave everyone a taste of the kingdom that was to come. And this is how you can live if you choose his kingdom. He wanted to bring us closer to the Father. He wanted to show us the Father's love. And he declared this to us. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He declared that. It was true. And all the human thought of tenderness, all the human thought of forgiveness and love, and the regards to a father's love for his son, we can only imagine. So God gives us a glimpse of this into that love. He said, this is what that true love looks like. Yes, Abraham took his son up to Mount Moriah and wanted to sacrifice him following God's command, but God wouldn't let him. God wouldn't let him. And that beautiful scenario, you know it real well, when they get up there on top and everything's there, and Isaac looks around and goes, Father, Father, there's the wood. There's the fire. but Where's the sacrifice? Where's the ram? Where's the lamb? Abraham said to him, God will provide himself the sacrifice. God will provide himself the sacrifice. God wouldn't let Abraham, kill his only beloved son, the only one who was the heir to his throne. Because God was going to send his. God was going to send his son. So who's the recipient of this love? The next phrase, whoever. Whoever. And I like this. It's not just for a few. It's just, just for some favorite people. It's whoever. I love the word whosoever. It's for Whoever. And the word here is pas, P-A-S. It means any, all, everyone, the whole. This love by God that is offered to us through Jesus Christ, it's inclusive of everybody. God is not a God of partiality. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, free, slave, man, woman, there's no partiality with God. It's offered. It's a free offering. God has offered it to everyone who would look at it and say, yes, I want that. Which leads me to the next one. What must we do as to be a recipient of this love? It's easy. Believe. Believe in Him. Believe in Him, it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, believe in who? Believe in God's begotten Son. You are assured.
0: Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at ashorehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit A sure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at aSureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.